you have your Bible here today, Galatians chapter 4 this morning. Galatians chapter 4, that's in your New Testament, in the section that has Paul's letters. So we'll go past Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and keep going. Um, if you go to uh, Ephesians, you've gone too far. You need to hang back. Galatians chapter 4. The title of the message here this morning is The Miracle of the Moment. In one of his books, leadership expert John Maxwell makes the following statement. He says, quote, Timing is everything. The wrong action at the wrong time leads to disaster. The right action at the wrong time brings resistance. The wrong action at the right time is a mistake. But the right action at the right time results in success. This, he writes, is the law of timing, knowing what to do and when to do it. Timing is so critical. Timing is the difference between a good joke and a bad joke. Timing is the difference in sports as well. It's the difference between a perfect touchdown pass and an interception. Timing is the difference between making history and a missed opportunity. Consider, if you will, just a few examples. Timing made all the difference for Milton Hershey, that is, the president of Hershey Chocolate. Mr. Hershey and his wife were in Europe, and they had bought tickets to sail home to the United States on April the 10th, 1912. However, timing became an issue. His wife fell ill. And then he received a timely telegram about an urgent matter of business that needed his attention back in Pennsylvania. And so they decided they had to cut their vacation short and return to America sooner than originally planned. And that forced them to book a trip on a different ship And it turned out to be a good decision because their original VIP tickets were for the ill-fated maiden voyage of the Titanic. Timing is everything. It made a difference for Alexander Graham Bell. On Valentine's Day, 1876, Bell filed his patent with the U.S. clerk office for rights to manufacture the telephone. But just hours after Bell filed his patent, another inventor... Elisha Gray strolled into the same patent office to file his design for a telephone, and much to his chagrin, Gray found out that he was too late. Timing was everything. Timing made the difference for the so-called greatest generation, those brave men who stormed the beaches of Normandy. When Dwight Eisenhower began planning the D-Day invasion of Europe, he had to choose a day in which the weather and tidal conditions would be perfect. Scientists calculated that in the year 1944, the most ideal window of opportunity for an invasion of Europe was June 5th through the 7th. So the Allies had a brief 72-hour period to launch an invasion. Well, there was bad weather on June the 5th, and so they had to push the invasion out a day. But on June 6th, the weather broke, and General Eisenhower greenlit what he called Operation Overlord, and he said it was the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. 
And history is different because of that timely decision. Timing was everything some 2,000 years ago when God's Son quietly invaded earth as an infant. Bible scholar Ralph Sockman put it this way. He said, quote, The hinge of history is on the door of a Bethlehem stable. <laughs> the incarnation of Christ is that central event of history which still to this day splits our timeline in two, B.C. and A.D. And since God has invaded our world, we've never been the same since. But have you ever wondered as you studied the Christmas story, why did Jesus come when He did? I mean, why did He come then and not now? You think about it, as eternal God, Jesus was not limited by the constraints of time, and so He could have chosen any period for Himself in which to enter the world, so why did He pick a time period that had no modern conveniences, no running water, no electricity? It's not the world that probably we would have chosen to be born in. But how many of you know that God's ways are not man's ways? So why is it that God chose in His infinite wisdom to be born when he chose. Well, I've already suggested the answer to you. Timing is everything. Now the Apostle Paul hints at an answer to this great mystery in Galatians 4, verse 4 and 5. Listen to what he wrote. It's coming up on the screen. Verse 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now if you study this incredible passage, it not only explains why He came, why Christ came, but it explains why He came when He came. And in the message today, I want to point out for you three simple truths about the advent of Christ. Number one is this. Please make a note. Number one, I want you to see the providential schedule of Christmas. The providential schedule of Christmas. The first lesson that we learn about Christ's coming is that it was an event that was accomplished according to God's perfect timetable. Notice the phrase in verse 4, In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son. That's providence. Providence, by the way, is God's hand in the glove of human events. God works behind the scenes, but He moves all the scenes that He's behind. The Heavenly Father worked invisibly and patiently through the affairs of politics and language and religion and waiting for just the right moment for Christ to step out of eternity and into time to achieve His master redemption plan. So what was going on in the world at the time, the fullness of time, when Christ came? Well, let's think about it religiously. Religiously, the Jewish people had tried to live up to the impossible standards of the Mosaic Law for over a thousand years. But they continually failed. It was 2,000 years from Adam to Moses, 2,000 years from Moses to Christ... When Malachi penned his last 
sermon there in the last book of the Old Testament, 400 years of darkness and silence swept over the biblical period in which no prophet spoke, no miracle that we know was done. God was silent. And so, spiritual hunger was at an all-time high. The Jewish people longed for a Messiah to come and release them from the boot of Rome. And then there were the philosophies and the pagan religions of the Greek world. They were bankrupt as well. Hollow traditions that were powerless to change man's heart. And so religiously, the time was right. Culturally, the time was right. Because several hundred years before Jesus was born, a general by the name of Alexander the Great had made his march across much of the earth and established a common language, Greek. Now, that may not mean much to you, but if you're planning to spread the gospel throughout the world, it's a perfect time to send a Savior, because when the gospel was going to be preached, it could be spread throughout the Roman Empire, because everybody had a common language that they could understand. And then politically, it was the right time. You see, the Romans had created a relative period of peace and prosperity. The historians call it the Pax Romana. The Iron Legions of Rome had secured peace by treaties and building a system of roads all across the Mediterranean, funneling in water through aqueducts and setting up cities so that when the Messiah came and the gospel was ready to be preached, all the infrastructure was there for the apostles and so on to take to the roads and take the gospel to the four corners of the earth. So like a play director, God has prepared the world stage for the arrival of His Son. And when all the props and when all the characters are in place, the curtain rose for Jesus Christ to enter this, as the Savior of this grand drama of redemption and the spotlight of history was upon Him. I love what David Jeremiah wrote about this. He said, quote, no event has been more urgently needed nor better timed. In the providence of God, a window of opportunity open in which the world conditions align perfectly to provide the optimal moment for the gospel. Each of the world empires predicted by the prophet Daniel contributed to the timetable of Jesus' birth, and these conditions came together right before the birth of Christ and evaporated shortly afterward. He said Jesus arrived on earth with greater precision than the best-timed NASA mission to the moon. What a thought. Yes, man's been to the moon. Big deal! God has come to the earth. He's walked among us and wore our flesh. By the way, according to Bible prophecy, specifically Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 and 27, did you know that the Messiah, that Jesus had to be crucified before the year 70 A.D.? Because that was prophesied by Daniel long ago that that was when the temple in Jerusalem would be destroyed. You say, well, big deal. Well, very big deal because inside the temple was kept all the family genealogical records going back for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so Jesus had to be born and had to die and those events had to take place before 70 A.D. because when the Romans came in in 70, they burned the temple and along with that, all of the genealogical records of the Jews. And if that happened at the wrong time, then it would have been impossible to verify Jesus' lineage back to David. Very important. 
Prophecy also specified that the Messiah had to be born in Bethlehem, according to Micah 5.2. So think about this. At just the right time, a few months before Mary is to deliver, God taps the most powerful man on the shoulder, the Caesar of Romans says, I need you to do a little favor for me. This man who thought he was something but was really just a speck on the uh, face of history, God tapped this man on the shoulder and said, how about a census? And he said, a census that uh, throughout the world all people would have to return to their place of home birth to be counted for a census and that's the mechanism that God used to move this tiny little peasant couple from Nazareth down to Bethlehem just to fulfill a prophecy spoken hundreds of years ago by a prophet named Micah timed perfectly by the way with a special star that appeared in the sky and the wise men watched it and tracked it across the desert as they sought Jesus and it stopped at the very place where he was This is our God, a God of precision. Listen, friend, there's no broken links in the golden chain of God's providence. (laughs) There's no loose threads in this grand tapestry that He's been weaving. The great clock of the universe spins and works with unending punctuality. The providence of God will never be undone. Years ago, there was a great story that was featured in Decision Magazine. And it was a story about a pastor in Minnesota. His name is Tom Rakow. Listen to this. Late one night, Pastor Tom's phone rang. One of his parishioners was having emergency surgery for gallstones. Rakow made the trip to the hospital on a treacherous snow-covered road. And on his way after the visit, Pastor Tom saw a car stuck in a snowbank on the side of the road. So he pulled alongside to help. The man inside rolled down his window and explained his situation in a wheezy voice. He said, I hit a slick spot and I'm waiting for a wrecker. Pastor Tom said, well, sir, can I wait with you until the wrecker comes? The man welcomed the company of Pastor Tom and he climbed in the passenger seat of the car. The two exchanged small talk. Then the man named John explained... I'm suffering from cancer, Pastor. It's cancer in my throat as he wheezed. Here's what Tom said happened. Immediately, (laughs) I knew I was not in that car by mere accident or coincidence. I sensed a great urgency, he said, in my spirit. I felt the Lord prompting me to ask, John, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? (laughs) It was a divine appointment. He said, John looked at me with tears in his eyes and says, I've been trying to find God, but I don't know how. Pastor Tom said, I explained the gospel to this man and he did receive Christ. He grabbed my hand as we prayed and he said, I've been waiting for this day for so long. Listen to this. A month later, John, the sick man, he died and Pastor Tom got to do his funeral. He wrote of God's providential timing in the events. He said, I can't help but marvel how God used cancer, frigid weather, slick roads, and gallstones to accomplish His plan to save one man on the side of the road. But He did. God orchestrated these seemingly random events to save one lost sheep. 
And friend, if you get anything out of this passage today as you study it, you need to realize that just as God was involved in all the intricate details of sending His Son the first time, hey, He's involved in your life even when it's random and it doesn't make sense and you can't connect the dots and you don't see how A leads to Z and the timing is a dead end or it doesn't add up, it's a loose end. I want you to know that He is directly involved whether good or evil. He has a purpose in your life. And God's timing is perfect and you can trust His timing because He's never been late and He's never been early. He's always right on time. In the fullness of time. That's the, that's the providential schedule of Christmas. Then I want you to see also in verse 4, the perfect Savior of Christmas. Oh my, the perfect Savior. Notice what the text says. Verse 4, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. In one succinct phrase, Paul wraps up a grand theological statement of humanity and deity in the person of Christ. As the Son of God, He eternally existed. But in a moment of time, in a miracle of a moment, He was born of a woman, born a virgin. Think of that, friend. I still haven't gotten over it. I still can't figure it out. The Creator in a cradle. The infinite becomes an infant. Jesus was the earthly child of a heavenly father and the heavenly child of an earthly mother. And the incarnation was not the subtraction of deity, it was the addition of humanity. This was the Son of God and God the Son. The perfect Savior. Until this moment, man's greatest problem was that in his fallen Sinful condition. The way that you and I are born into this world as loving sin and choosing sin. We are separated from a holy God. And man tries to get to God through religion. Religion is man's attempt to reach up to God. But the beauty of the gospel and the amazing message of Christmas is that God reached down to man. Christ is that perfect Savior to man's problem. As 100% man and 100% God, He can stand in the gap and reconcile these two estranged parties. Paul summed it up beautifully, 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. One God, not Muhammad, not Buddha, not Krishna or Joseph Smith or any of these other pretenders. One mediator, God in man, the man Christ Jesus. There is no other way besides the way that God has provided. Not only is He the living link between a sinful man and a holy God, but He is also, notice this in the phrase that Paul used, born under the law. Is that important? You better believe it's important. Because what that means is that He was born under this yoke of keeping the Mosaic law, this drudgery of the law which the Jews could not themselves keep. The Pharisees tried and they failed over and over again. But Jesus, <laughs> fulfilling every jot and every tittle of God's ceremonial and moral law, and therefore, friend, because He's born of woman and born under the law, He's an all-sufficient Savior, sinless like us in every respect, perfect in birth, perfect in death. 
And he lived the life that you and I could never live. And he fulfilled the law that you and I broke time and time and time again. God's perfect Savior. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon wrote about this. He said, God and man in one precious package. He is able to sympathize because He is man. And He is able to save because He is God. Bethlehem's child brought near man who was sunk in the pits of sin. And holy God who was high in the heavens. Christ, He said, is the divine bridge builder spanning the impassable gulf between heaven and earth. God and man, sinner and Savior. So what does that mean? It means that in Christ, God understands your pain. That in Christ, God understands your poverty. That in Christ, God understands your problems. He's a sympathizing Savior. And you can take your situation to Him. You can take your sin to Him because He's the only sinless Savior that's ever graced this planet. And he says, you just try and out sin my grace. My grace is sufficient for thee. He's the perfect Savior of heaven. During the days of racial segregation in America, there was a reporter named John Howard Griffin. He was a white man who decided to undertake a great social experiment to understand the plight of the blacks. So listen to what he did. In 1959, he darkened his skin with medication, sun lamps and stains, and then he traveled to the deep south and lived there for six weeks to see what it was like. Incognito, Griffin felt the pain of racism firsthand. He experienced hateful racial slurs, the indignity of having to give up his seat on a public bus to whites, denied being service at restaurants, and prejudice at the workplace and from the police. He ended up writing a book about his experience, and it was called Black Like Me, to better help whites understand the humiliation and discrimination faced by people of color in that time. And I want to say that here's a parallel. Just an illustration, but in Christ, God didn't just look human or feel human. He was fully human. Took upon human flesh. He was God in a body walking around. And He walked our streets. He felt our pain. He noticed the evil. He was a victim of the rejection and every dark and evil thing that this world can offer. And the incarnation is great evidence that God so loved the world. Think about how evil, twisted, and messed up this world is. If I were God, I don't think I would send my precious, sinless Son to die for humans who would spit in my face, curse my Son, and nail Him to a tree. But He did. The perfect Savior of Christmas. Then notice number three, as we finish today, the providential schedule of Christmas, the perfect Savior of Christmas, and then number three, the priceless sacrifice of Christmas. It's all here in verse five. 
Did you know that there's a direct line that connects Christmas to the cross of Calvary? Don't miss it. Verse 5, To redeem those who are under the law, that's you and me, so we might have, watch this, receive adoption as sons. Oh my. Friend, think about this. Christmas is not a rags to riches story. It's a riches to rags story. Jesus had a stable for a nursery, a manger for a crib, manure for carpet, and cobwebs for curtains. Never had one been so high and stooped so low. The condescension of God sinking Himself into the body of a tiny baby that had to be supported by a 15-year-old Jewish girl. If that doesn't blow your mind... Friend, there's no sci-fi plot that can even come close to that. That Jesus, God's Son, gave up His privilege, His position, His prerogative. And what was started at Bethlehem continued all the way through His ministry to the cross where He gave it all to pay the price for our redemption. And His own blood was the ransom to purchase our freedom and to purchase our bondage from sin and Satan, and to make us adopted children. Isn't that beautiful? God's great gift is the offer of adoption into His forever family. Listen to what John said it in his prologue, John 1.12, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, <laughs> He gave the right to become the children of God. C.S. Lewis said it like this. He said, The Son of God became a Son of Man so that the sons of men could become sons of God. You see, friend, when you look at Christmas and you see the manger, God is saying to us, There is no place I am unwilling to go for you. I'm willing to go down even to the very muck and mire of a ghetto. And then when you look at Calvary and you see Jesus bleeding and dying there in our place, God is saying to us, there is no cost I am unwilling to pay for you. And so, think about it. To receive adoption as sons and daughters, you know what that means? That God sought you, that God bought you, and that God brought you into His heavenly household. By the way, something incredible like this, a picture of the gospel happened recently, and the news media actually reported on it. CNN told the story of Albuquerque patrolman Ryan Holetz. I want you to listen to this. While on duty one day, Officer Ryan Holetz visited a convenience store. As he left the convenience store, he noticed out of the corner of his eye a couple sitting on the grass against a cement wall. It appeared the man and woman were shooting up heroin. Ryan turned on his body camera and approached the couple, but he wasn't prepared for what he saw. The woman was in the middle of injecting the needle into her companion's arm, and that's when he noticed the profile of the woman she was pregnant. Could you imagine a more heartbreaking scene? 
The story continued. This would-be mother told Ryan Holitz that she was almost eight months pregnant, hopelessly addicted, and he said, you're going to kill your baby if you don't stop. In the course of the conversation, the mother told Ryan, I desperately pray that someone will adopt my baby. Officer Holitz made the call at that moment not to charge the couple with drug possession because he felt God tugging at his heart. With a shake in his voice, he turned to the mother and said, I'll take that baby. He pulled out a phone and showed a picture of his wife and his beautiful children and said, you don't want the baby? He or she can come and be a part of my family. He told the reporters later, and I can't even believe that they printed this in the news, but they did. I was led by God to do this. He said, God brought us together, and I really don't understand why or how. The addicted mother was stunned. She said, are you sure? Ryan responded, yes. This is what Jesus would do. Later, when the reporters interviewed his wife, Rebecca, she said, God told us to do this. Friend, that's a miracle of a moment. The Primitive Quartet, they sing a song, it blesses me so much. Once my clothes were ragged, the world looked down on me. I had no hope for tomorrow, nor for eternity. Then grace came with mercy, and he heard this orphan's plea. Now I've been adopted, and my bondage has been set free. Now I'm no longer an orphan. Someone has rescued me. My garments no longer are tattered. My family is royalty. I came so empty-handed. No place to call my home. No one to really love me. But now look at what all that I own. I'm feasting on the manna that comes from God on high. And there's no shortage. It's a vast supply. Now I'm no longer an orphan. Someone has rescued me. My garments are no longer tatted. My family is royalty. Oh, friend, if you can understand that, then you can understand the heart of Christmas. That in a miracle of a moment, God became a man. He was born so that we could be born again. And He came so He could adopt you and you and me. God wanted me. Are you serious? Oh my God, I can never get over it. But that's the message of our God. And that's the gospel. That God wants you in His forever family. My goodness. Do you know what I'm talking about today? Have you received this Savior? Have you been adopted in? Listen to me. God doesn't have any grandchildren. He's only got children. Can't get in riding in on somebody else. You've got to be born again. Our musicians are coming. And as they come, I'm going to say a prayer. And if you need to say this prayer today, you repeat after me. 
Let's bow our heads. Lord, I thank you for coming to this earth. Lord, I thank you for Christmas and the message. God, I recognize that I'm a sinner and that I cannot save myself. Forgive me today, Lord. Cleanse me. I believe that Jesus is your Son. I believe He died on the cross. And I believe He was rose from the grave. I put my faith and trust in Him. Save me today, Lord. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. Will you please stand? If you prayed that prayer today, I want to see you come and meet me today. We'd love to rejoice with you about the decision that you've made. Maybe you just need prayer, you need encouragement in some other way today. I'd love to be down here to receive you and pray with you. You do as the Holy Spirit leads you, but if you prayed that prayer, we want to rejoice with you today.